Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about the Republic of Formosa. It was May 25th, 1895. The mood in Taipei was one of trepidation, although perhaps it was also one of excitement. For several weeks now, the top officials in Taiwan, backed and urged on by the island's most prominent citizens, had engaged in furious flurries of correspondence with each other, with the imperial court of the Qing dynasty in Beijing, including the foreign minister, with the governor of Fujian and Zhejiang provinces on the Chinese coast, and with the captain of a French warship that, six days earlier, on May 19th, had docked at the port of Jilong in northern Taiwan. But now, the time for deliberation, the time for hesitation, was over. The Qing-appointed governor of Taiwan, or Formosa, as it was also known, a man named Tang Jing-sung, would do on this day what no one in Chinese history Hell, no one in East Asian history had ever done. He was about to declare the independence and establishment of a democratic republic, the Republic of Formosa. But to understand the situation, to understand how history arrived at this strange juncture, we have to back up a few decades to gain the full picture. The 19th century had not been kind to China, certainly not the years starting with the first Opium War in 1840 against Britain, which ended with Chinese defeat and the colonization of Hong Kong. Then in 1883, war broke out between China and France over Vietnam, which at the time had been a Chinese vassal state. Now, the Sino-French War, in truth, could be the topic of an episode in its own right. But today, we're only going to discuss it, incidentally, in connection with Taiwan. The first thing you need to know, of course, is the result of that war. By the time the Sino-French War was over, in 1885, Vietnam had become a French colony. Secondly, our man... Tang Jing-sung played a role in that war. And that involvement would lead him down the path to that fateful day in May of 1895. Tang Jing-sung was born in the province of Guangxi in southern China in 1841 into a poor but scholarly family. His father had done fairly well in the imperial service exams, and yet couldn't find a position in the government. So he became a school teacher instead. Jing Song was luckier. In 1865, he succeeded at the final imperial level of the exams, gaining the rank of Jing Shi. That qualified him for a position at the Imperial Hanling Academy, what today you might call the National Institute of Advanced Studies. 
But for many years afterward, Tang Jingsong was unable to win promotion to anything with greater responsibility. When the Sino-French War broke out, however, Tang Jingsong saw his opening. He went to his superiors and volunteered to travel to Vietnam to help with the war effort. In Vietnam, he met the other central character in the story of the Republic of Formosa. Liu Yongfu was also a southerner, born in 1837 in a town only some 50 kilometers from the Vietnamese border. But unlike the scholarly Tang Jingsong, Liu was born into a working class background. And as a young man, Liu Yongfu joined the triads. Today, we popularly understand the triads to be essentially Chinese mafia. But historically, the triads, aka the Heaven and Earth Society, aka the Hong Army, began as a Han Chinese nationalist organization dedicated to the overthrow of the Qing dynasty. The Qing, as you recall, was founded in 1644 by the Manchu invaders from beyond the Great Wall, people whom the Han didn't use to consider properly Chinese. Liu Yongfu rose up the ranks within the triads to become what they called a general. But after participating in a number of battles against imperial forces, Liu found his position within China to be untenable and escaped with his men into Vietnam. The gang of triad fighters he led ultimately came to call themselves the Black Flag Army. And Liu Yongfu managed to reach a sort of modus vivendi with the Vietnamese authorities so that they tolerated his presence on their soil. When France launched its colonizing war in Vietnam, the Vietnamese government asked Liu Yongfu and his men to join its defense efforts. At the same time, the Vietnamese government reached out to the empire that was meant to protect it, China. Liu Yongfu and his erstwhile enemy, the Qing Empire, therefore suddenly found themselves fighting on the same side, the side that was against the French. And this was when Tang Jingsong came calling. Would Liu Yongfu and his men agree to join forces with Qing imperial troops? If so, Tang could make sure that his superiors granted Liu an amnesty for his former assaults on the empire. Liu accepted and fought alongside Tang Jingsong against the French. Ultimately, though, the Qing court agreed to accept a French dominion in Vietnam and ordered Chinese troops to withdraw. Now, Tang Jingsong and Liu Yongfu together retreated back into China. Tang Jingsong was now a Mandarin who had proven himself, and Liu Yongfu was now a pardoned former outlaw. There they parted ways as in 1887, the Qing court sent Tang Jingsong to Taiwan 
to take up a new position on the government staff. The two colleagues, though, would meet again soon enough. In 1894, as Japan made its opening moves in the Sino-Japanese War, the Qing court ordered Liu Yongfu and his Black Flag Army to sail for Taiwan and to help to defend it in the event of a Japanese attack. As Liu Yongfu arrived in Taiwan, his old friend Tang Jingsong came to welcome him and to discuss the island's defenses. Shortly afterward, however, the existing governor of Taiwan resigned. Tang Jingsong took up his mantle and was, as of September 1894, the new governor of Taiwan. The feared Japanese attack on Taiwan never came, at least not during the Sino-Japanese War itself. Although in early 1895, Japan managed to seize the Pescadores or Penghu Islands off the west coast of Taiwan. And by the spring of 1895, Japan had emerged victorious in the war. Minister Plenipotentiary Li Hongzhang traveled to Japan to the city of Shimonoseki to negotiate the cessation of hostilities. As one of the terms for peace, Japan demanded possession of Taiwan. On April 17, 1895, Minister Li Hongzhang and Prime Minister Ito signed the Treaty of Shimonoseki, ceding Taiwan to Japan. When the news reached Taiwan, a great uproar resounded throughout the island. The prominent citizens of Taiwan wrote to Governor Tang Jing-sung, insisting that they would rather die than live as Japanese colonial subjects. But what was Tang Jing-sung supposed to do? Over in Beijing, the emperor had approved the Treaty of Shimonoseki and ordered Chinese forces in Taiwan to stand down. A Japanese fleet now sailed for Taiwan to assume control, and Chinese officials like Tang Jing-sung weren't supposed to stand in their way. During feverish discussions between Tang Jing-sung and the leading citizens of Taiwan, the idea of independence came up. On May 15, 1895, Tang Jing-sung issued a statement to the people of Taiwan in which he essentially solicited their opinion as to the notion of independence, because Tang himself remained reluctant to embrace this course. At the same time, the leading citizens of Taiwan telegraphed Beijing to say, if Qing China would not protect Taiwan, then Taiwan shall have no choice but to become its own country. On May 19, 1895, a French frigate reached the port of Jilong or Kilong. Although only a decade earlier, Tang Jing-sung and Liu Yongfu had both fought the French in Vietnam, now they welcomed their arrival. Perhaps, they hoped, they could persuade the French, and maybe even some other foreign powers, to protect Taiwan against the Japanese forces bearing down on them. Two days later, the French captain, 
came to Taipei to see Governor Tang. The captain gave the governor his frank opinion. If helping the Taiwanese was a matter of helping to keep a piece of Chinese territory, Chinese, when the Chinese government itself had decided to abandon it, then that would be a very awkward matter for the powers of Europe. If, however, Taiwan were its own country, and French assistance meant assisting an independent nation defend itself against aggression, then that would be easier. Until then reluctant, Tang Jing-sung, upon hearing this from the French captain, made up his mind. On May 25, 1895, flanked by the leading citizens of Taiwan and dressed in the ceremonial clothes of a Qing dynasty Mandarin, Tang Jing-sung proclaimed the founding of the Democratic Republic of Taiwan, or the Republic of Formosa, made himself the Republic's inaugural president, and designated Liu Yongfu as the commander-in-chief of Taiwan's armed forces. And he issued a Declaration of Independence. I want to pause here to talk about this idea of a Declaration of Independence. Since when did people feel the need to make a declaration when they started a new country? Well, since the Americans in 1776. Since that fateful 4th of July in Philadelphia, this American notion has spread around the world. In his wonderful book, The Declarations of Independence, A Global History, the Harvard historian David Armitage traces this spread, and he even discusses the example of Taiwan. However, as Armitage notes, the Taiwanese declaration was very different from the American one. The American declaration was primarily a complaint against King George III. Indeed, as a legal term of art, in late 18th century English, a declaration meant a complaint. The many charges that the Americans laid against King George justified the separation of the 13 colonies from the mother country. The Taiwanese declaration was very different. It promised loyalty to Qing China and justified the course of independence as a necessary evil at a time when the Qing court had abandoned the Taiwanese, at a time when no foreign power would otherwise lift a hand to help. Or, as Armitage puts it, the contemporary American translator of the document that announced that the Republic termed it the official declaration of the Republic of Formosa. But it is clear that this was a misunderstanding of the nature of the claim to autonomy made by the leaders of the short-lived Taiwanese Republic. Those who proclaimed that Republic appealed to Western powers for help, something which could be achieved only if Taiwan were recognized internationally as autonomous. However, this did not necessarily imply complete separation from China. The Taiwan Republic was proclaimed to be self-dependent, not independent 
from China, and its president, Tang Jingsong, presented himself to the people of Taiwan as a loyal servant of the Qing Emperor. He therefore did not claim full international sovereignty for Taiwan. Thus, this first Asian Republic did not arise as a product of a revolution or the outcome of an independence movement. Well, that Armitage passage has already kind of given away the ending of this story. The Republic of Taiwan would be short-lived. But I may as well tell you how. Four days after the declaration, on May 29th, Japanese forces reached Taiwan. Taiwanese forces resisted them, but were clearly dramatically outmatched. By June 3rd, the Taiwanese were in full retreat. Troops falling back into Taipei caused widespread panic. The next day, Tang Jingsung abandoned his post, disguised himself as a woman, and escaped the city. On June 6, 1895, he managed to get aboard a German civilian ship called the Arthur and escaped to China. The next day, the vice president, hearing that the president had fled, also ran for his life. On June 11th, some of those same prominent citizens who had urged Tang Jingsong to declare independence now lined the streets to welcome the Japanese Imperial Army into Taipei. But uh, there was a second protagonist to our story. Liu Yongfu, the former triad boss and now commander-in-chief of Taiwanese forces, wasn't quite ready to give up. On June 26th, in the southern city of Tainan, Liu and his loyal followers proclaimed the Second Republic and Liu as its president. But the Japanese kept on coming. Though Liu and his men kept fighting, there was no stopping them. On October 20th, seeing that defeat was inevitable and imminent, Liu Yongfu finally did what his predecessor did. He ran, got on a British steamship, and escaped to China. Those who remained finally surrendered. Thus ended the Democratic Republic of Taiwan. Thus began the period of Japanese colonization that would end only with the end of the Second World War. Now, I've said before that this podcast aims not to be overtly political, which is tricky because history is by nature political one way or another. And the notion of Taiwanese independence is clearly an extremely political subject. The brief existence of the Republic of Taiwan in 1895 is a fascinating precedent that, in my view, suggests many nuanced lessons that may be relevant to contemporary politics. But, for the sake of my promise to steer away from overt politics, I think I'll have to leave you to decide 
what those lessons are. This has been MODG. Thank you for listening.